This week on Rotten or Righteous Mash and Sackcloth, we ask the question. Isn't that how everybody's legs work, Scott? I'm most, pretty sure I'm pretty sure everybody's legs go clear from their butt to the ground. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, Mash and Sackcloth Edition. The only podcast that has hot lips on our ferret face that we see with our Hawkeye. Very nice. With me today, as always, he's a moose in every sense of the word. It's Scott Judge. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could do a moose impersonation right now. When it, was, it was Bullwinkle that was the moose, right? Was it Bullwinkle? I guess. I don't know. Sure. We'll go with you that. Don't know, you don't know Rocky and Bull... Yeah, Bullwinkle was the moose. Rocky and Bullwinkle? Just every day I have to remind Scott... Every week I have to remind Scott I was born in 1991. <laughs> every week. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Um, full house. Okay. Joey used to do this impersonation all the time of a moose, and it was Bullwinkle. I know who Rocky and Bullwinkle are, Scott. I oh, know. okay. Sorry. I thought that's what you didn't know. No, I, I know. I know. Deep down inside, I know. 1991. I also want to say at the top of the episode that uh, we sympathize and pray for those who are fighting for their freedom in Ukraine, especially our brothers and sisters Amen. over there. And uh, the irony is not lost on us that we switched the format of our show to cover a television show about war when real war is waging. Um, I mean, we're not going to change it, but we, we acknowledge it. <laughs> so that makes us uh, uh, that makes us good, I think. <laughs> See, I was going to try not to laugh. <laughs> I'm like, well, this is good. This is heartfelt. This is sincere. Not that we're going to do anything. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing I can do no, about our, it. Yeah, our, the, our uh, thoughts. Yeah, our thoughts and prayers are with all of those over in the Ukraine and those that have fled. And we do have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ over there, and we're praying for you every day. And right now, we're recording this two weeks uh, from when it will air. So hopefully, everything will be taken care of by then. And uh, Putin, if you're listening, you're being real bad, and I'm disappointed in you, young man. I'm disappointed Highly in you. disappointed. Go stand Highly in the corner. I'm going to treat you like I treat my four-year-old. Go stand in the corner, count to 40, and then you can come out if you're ready to play nice with other kids. He's not ready to play nice. I think the reason why Putin is so angry is because his last name is a euphemism for flatulence. I mean, I'd probably be a little bit grumpy, too. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not justifying it, but I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you have a bunch of chili, you got you got, you got the Putins later. You got a little Putin poot. You got the Putins. Um, or the Taco Bell, you get the Putin poots. Or the KFC. Putin poots. So Putin. Putin poots. Stop being a Putin. 
<laughs> you bald-headed turd. All right. Shit. I forgot to say. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, along with Scott, I'm still just really sorry we're doing this. I'm Zach Geiler. Um, this week, uh, we watched episodes five and six of the first season of the hit 1970s uh, uh, television series, MASH, Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. And boy, oh boy. Double seven. Boy, oh boy, do we have a, a show for you. Because uh, the first episode this week is titled Moose. <laughs> and it has to do with everyone's favorite topic to discuss using 70s media. Slavery. <laughs> Slavery. <laughs> you know, I meant, I meant to look that up. I wonder how that name originated. They said in the show, Scott. <laughs> I was sleeping, apparently. Uh, it, it's from some Japanese word. I don't know. I don't care. Move... It, it, no, it says right here, the two moose is derived from the Japanese word musumi, which means daughter or young girl. So, there you go. We got this guy. He's real, he's real Putin. Named Sergeant Baker. He shows up to the 4077 with his moose. No, not a big fat person, but a lovely Korean girl named Young Hee. Who... <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you, honestly, if you could switch your name to anything, would it be that? I mean, would you would you give it a little consideration? What moose or young no, he? No, yeah, young he. <laughs> Can I change the spelling so people didn't think that I was young high? Young high. That's my rap name, uh, Young High. Young High. So, yeah, the 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 Putin-esque Sergeant Baker comes over and visits the 4077th with his moose, uh, his musumi, uh, a young Korean girl named Young Hee, who he bought from her family for a paltry $500. Now, Hawkeye is outraged by this. So much so that he even becomes a little bit more angry at the implication that this soldier has a personal slave than the aforementioned um, Mr. Jones. I'm not saying his name. Uh, the African-American surgeon, uh, Mr. Jones. But Hawkeye's just so mad at, at, at Sergeant Baker... He's so angry, and he tries to get Baker to, to let the girl go free, and Baker's like, I don't understand why you're getting your dander up over a little gook. And I'm like, come on, MASH. Please. Please. Can we go Can we go one episode without me having to discuss some sort of slur? Please. <laughs> <laughs> Today is not your day. And this, is, by the way, has got to be one of the few times that we've seen uh, uh, Hawkeye get dressed up in full uniform. Well, yeah, we're only six episodes in. Yeah. So, yeah. I know, but I'm saying this is one he of the tries, times. Yeah, he tries, yeah, he tries, he tries to pull rank 
in order to get this girl released. But and and so he dresses up in his full dress uniform, but Baker's not having it because he knows that Hawkeye really doesn't have any uh, uh, power that he was only given his rank because he's a surgeon. Now, to uh, to be fair to Baker, they do make it very clear that this young slave girl is just there to wash his clothes and cook and clean and and you know iron his pants. There's no, there's no as young he puts it, or yeah, young he puts it, uh, uh, funny business going on. So that's good. <laughs> Nothing. Funny, ha ha, or funny, bow wow, cheeky cheeky, bow wow. Hulk eventually plays poker with Sergeant Baker, and with a little help from Radar, looking at Baker's cards from, uh, or through a telescope from the other side of camp, uh, when he's not being distracted by the legs of a passing by nurse, uh, is able to help Hawkeye beat Sergeant Baker something terrible, something like $1,500 up on him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, uh, Baker... And, and, uh, Hawk, Hawkeye's wearing a earpiece. How... How did... Uh, how did he not notice that there was an earpiece? I know he's turned away just a little bit, but at some point um, in time during that, you've got to notice the earpiece. Because if he noticed the earpiece, then the episode couldn't happen? That's a good point. <laughs> Notice the earpiece, and then we got to go a whole different direction. Right. So he does Cut. notice it, and uh, so Hawkeye is like, "Look, you can either pay me the fifteen hundred dollars you owe me, or uh, I'll give you all your money back, and you give me Young He." And uh, Baker is like, "Oh man, you got me." And so now Hawkeye owns a slave. Hawkeye immediately tries to free Young He, and she is adamantly against freedom. Uh, she just kind of, she makes sure that she, she stays by his side. Even when, when Pierce attempts to get rid of Young He by sending her on a truck back to Seoul, uh, she hitchhikes, hitchhikes back to the 4077. And, uh, no matter what they do, they can't, they can't get rid of her. Um, I don't know what the message that this show's trying to portray is at this point. Because uh, it started out with slavery is bad, but then the slave didn't want to go. So, Hawkeye decides to let her shave his face and stuff and clean up his tent. So, he's starting to imbibe in slavery even though he's against it because the slave doesn't want to go free. So, slavery is bad unless the slave doesn't want to be free. And then it's good. It doesn't matter. All right, eventually, <laughs> eventually... It's a matter of honor and principle for her, too. Right. Because she, she realizes... In her, in her, her mind, it would dishonor her family for her to go back. Yep. Now, yep. eventually, with the help of Pierce, uh, Jones, and Trapper working together, they are able to demusify the young, young he and teach her how to be a normal person. They basically. That's a good word, by the way. Oh, that's that's the word. Mash.fandom.com uh, uses. Uh, yeah. Teach her how to be a normal person, and eventually they convince 
uh, uh, Young Hee to go back to her family by bringing in the head of Young Hee's family, Benny, a 12-year-old <laughs> chain-smoking <laughs> Korean boy. <laughs> this is a great scene. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's not it's not what you expect when the head of the family comes in, and he's, he's all business. He speaks like a like a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not going to do a Korean accent, but he says so, something along the lines of, "Oh, what you what what's wrong with this one? Why do you want to give her back? She not doing good for you?" And they're like, "No, she's fine. We just don't want her." Ah, great, honey. Come on back to the family. I probably can get you. Uh, I probably could sell you next time for twelve thousand or twelve hundred, baby. And I'm like, good night, yeah. Benny. Good night. She's 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 experienced now. She's got that resume builder. Thankfully, Young He decides to stand up for herself and not allow her ten year old brother to sell her back into slavery. And uh, in the end, Young He is enrolled in convent school in Seoul. She writes a letter to Pierce McIntyre and Jones saying, I'm praying for you, but not really. I'm Buddhist. I just put that in there to make the nuns happy. I, I, I don't know what the message of this show is. It's incredibly confusing, and I just... Yeah, I don't know either. Why Why was Baker even there at the 4077th in the first place? It doesn't. I don't know. He was looking, he was looking for Colonel Blake, and that never played out. Nope. No, it's just... Hey, we got to fill. We got to fill thirty minutes or whatever, whatever it was back then with commercials. Twenty-two minutes. Twenty-two minutes of TV. I will say that according to the research notes slash fun facts, this is the fewest members of the show's main cast to appear in an episode apart from season four's Hawkeye, in which only Alan Alda appears. And this A bit is of also information we didn't know. The smallest appearance of Henry in an episode before the actor, McLean Stevenson, uh, left the show at the end of season three as he only appears in one scene for about 45 seconds. Is this, this is a this, short yeah. episode that doesn't have any meaning towards the greater picture. Yeah. In a lot of ways, just kind of a little humdrum. They could have maybe there were some other things they could have built on that would give you some better understanding, but there was fun, there were some funny moments in there too. I mean, with radar and the, uh, the the telescope or whatever he was looking through there trying to see the cards. Yeah, you know, it had the, the least amount of sexi- sexism of any episode we've seen so far, so that that's good. <laughs> that's true. Um, Although they tried, to, they tried to promote that there, though, with the, the one lady who had legs that went clear from her butt to the ground. And that how everybody's legs work, radar. Scott? I'm, most, pretty sure, everybody's. I'm pretty sure everybody's legs go clear from their butt to the ground. <laughs> Most everybody's. I'm I'm pretty sure that if your legs don't go clear from your butt to your to the ground, then you have like this weird gap in your upper thigh have, that you need to go take care of it. I have trick hips, Zach. If somebody has has a leg that goes from their armpit to the ground, they would look like a freak. What in the world are you talking about? Hey, you know what? I've I've seen those people before. They're they're usually elderly. They've got a they've got a zipper on their pants that's about eighteen inches long. Episode 6 has a much longer summary. Uh, It's titled, Yankee Doodle Doctor. (laughs) Lieutenant Bricker 
from Special Services is filming a documentary about MASH units on the advice from General Clayton. He arrives in camp looking to include the 4077th in his film. Hawkeye and Trapper are immediately pegged as the stars of this here outfit, but they don't want to contribute, not at first. They only decide to join in because they know that if they don't, then Frank, who actually wants to be in the show, uh, would become the star. So just to stomp on Frank's dreams, they decide to get involved. I, I don't. I normally won't side with Frank, but I felt kind of bad for him. Yeah, he. Uh, those guys can be a jerk to him, and sometimes he just doesn't deserve it. Like this time, he was just. This he's is like one of them. I used to act when I was a kid. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, no. Uh, sorry, Frank. We're gonna do it now. Um. So yeah, there wasn't even any discussion. It was like it was almost like you could have done without that scene, because it was like, all right, you're the guy. Looking at yeah. looking at Pierce, but he's just like, no, I don't want. I'm going to do it now that Frank Frank wants to. Yeah, it's like my son who won't eat his pizza and tell him like I'm going to eat it, and he's like, no, I'm going to eat my pizza. Why? Because you want to. <laughs> does he eat it, or yeah. does he just leave it? No, sometimes he leaves it, and then if I do eat it, then he gets mad at me. His pizza. Uh, when wounded soldiers arrive, Bricker and his film crew are endlessly getting in the way of the doctors during triage and in the OR. And Bricker is try- constantly trying to, to act it up for the camera. And Frank is asked to narrate the film, and he rehearses his narration in front of Hawkeye and Trapper, uttering the phrases, Saints and Surgical Garb and Yankee Doodle Doctor. As he reads the script. (laughs) It's at this point that Hawkeye and Trapper realize that this film is nothing but a lie. That it's just propaganda for the military. I don't know why it took him this long to realize that. I'm pretty sure anytime you see a camera in any military outfit, you can just assume that it's going to be propaganda. Now, Trapper at this point just kind of gives up. He's just going to just go and be part of the film that Bricker wants him... Or go do the film that Bricker wants them to do. But Hawkeye, of course, has more, I don't know, he's more bored, I guess, and decides that he wants to make other people's lives miserable. So, he decides that he doesn't want to be involved anymore. So, late that night, using radar to distract uh, a bricker by asking him questions about himself, Hawkeye and Trapper go into his tent, break into his locker, and expose all of the film footage, uh, ruining the film. The next morning... Not knowing who did it at first, Henry is faced with telling General Clayton over the phone that that the movie was ruined. But as he explains what happened, that somebody broke in to the crate that held the unfinished footage, or the unprocessed footage, how it was broken into with someone with surgical-like hands and precision, (laughs) he realizes... Then the light goes off. Yeah, he, he quickly un, or realizes that it was Hawkeye and, and Trapper who were the culprits. Which, really, Henry, who else would have done it? Seriously. There's no one. I mean, Frank's not going to do it. Radar's not going to do it without <laughs> without the... I mean, really, when you look at MASH, it doesn't matter what has been done. A, a Hawkeye, Hawkeye's got to be a suspect. I mean, he, he may have the greatest alibi in the world. He's still a suspect. Henry and... and... Bricker go and confront Hawkeye and Trapper 
and Bricker is, is willing and ready to reshoot the film, but Hawker and Trapper want no part of it. Bricker calls them a couple of weirdos because this is still television, and you can't call people things that aren't racist slurs in MASH. <laughs> you can't call people call names other than racial slurs and weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> They met their quota. They met their quota the last show. So they went with weirdo. But Hawkeye responds that at least they came by their weirdness honestly, unlike the phony film Bricker was trying to make. Now, Henry wants to make some compromises because it wouldn't it be kind of cool for their family back home to see them in a, in a big picture show? But Bricker is unwilling to compromise and decides to scrap the whole film and leave the camp. Now, Henry begs Hawkeye and Trapper to reconsider, saying that the film would be a great feather in their caps. Hawkeye's like, I'm not going to make his movie, but um, I'll make all my movie. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And so they get Bricker's film crew, but kick Bricker out of the camp, and they make their own film. Once completed, the movie makes its debut in the mess tent in front of the whole camp and General Clayton, the one-star general that told Bricker to get over to the 4077th and start filming them. And the film begins with an introduction that Clayton filmed with Bricker uh, at the beginning of the episode. So, apparently, Hawkeye and Trevor were very careful to ruin all of the film footage, except for that, when they destroyed all of the film footage. After which... Two nurses stroll past Hawkeye, Trapper, and Radar, seemingly in their dress uniforms, holding up a large banner that says MASH 4077. And just as the nurses walk by, the three drop the banner to show that none of them are wearing pants. Who had the best flex? They all start flexing. Oh, Radar, man, he's actually stripped down to his boxers, and he's he's just, he's working it. That little four-foot-tall, adorable little teddy bear of a baby, man. He's just working it. The film Hawkeye and Trapper have made turns out to be a comedy. Just a comedy romp with Hawkeye playing Groucho Marx as the Yankee Doodle Doctor. So what you have here is actually a, a very impressive bit of acting because you have Alan Alda playing Hawkeye, playing Groucho Marx, playing the Yankee Doodle Doctor. It is impressive. With Trapper playing a uh, mentally handicapped Harco Harpo Marx. Because if there's one thing people in 2022 really are going to relate to are references to the Marx Brothers. We are so relevant, Scott. The show is relevant. Man, we're just right on the cutting edge. We are. We are. (laughs) Who are these Marx people they're talking about? I always thought Marxism was bad. Go look them up. You're not going to find them funny. You're not. All right? They were hilarious back, you know. In the 40s and 50s. You're not going to find them funny today. But in the 70s, your grandparents were old enough to remember who they were, and so they laughed at this. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> they laughed loudly. Yeah, you got Hawkeye being the Yankee Doodle Doctor. Trapper playing Harpo Marx is making weird faces and, and blowing on a, a bicycle horn. And Radar plays two separate patients. Along with Ner- Nurse Cutler... And all the other nurses, of course, because they're going to have the nurses in, in this, this show. Because what would be a, a movie filmed at the 4077th without an opportunity to sexually harass the staff? It wouldn't be MASH! And dubbed over this entire 
farcical display is Frank's pre-recorded narration, which is pretty funny. Yeah, the seriousness of it to go along with the with the the Groucho impersonations and the the horn blowing, it's it's quite gay. That just adds to the comedy a whole lot. The next two scenes involve Hawkeye as Groucho first rejecting their their patient radar because they're overbooked, and uh, another one operating on a on another patient radar with a curly Q French mustache drawn on, using a handsaw and a ball peen hammer and a rubber chicken. Uh, like I said, it's not funny to us today, but man, it made your parents cry until, or your grandparents cry until tears streamed down their wrinkly old faces. Uh, and then finally, in the next scene, Hawkeye and Trapper play themselves wearing hooded robes and solemnly walk across the compound to what turns out to be a wild party at the mess tent. The funny parts of the film make Henry laugh, who tries to hide it, you know, and then uh, one-star General Clayton is just a real big sour push the whole time. He's not, be, 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 be. He's not having a good time. And then if you could guess who the other two aren't having uh, fun watching this, um, I imagine you would guess that it was Margaret Hot Lips uh, Houlihan, Houlihan and Frank Ferret Face Burns, and you would be right, because they do not enjoy anything that does not involve uh, uh, PDA or violent and aggressive footsie. <laughs> like all good comedies, it ends with a very serious, serious, sad message. Hawkeye is no longer in character, but he's just staring directly into the camera as he grimly talks about one of his patients. He says, three hours ago, this man was in a battle. Two hours ago, we operated on him. He's got a 50-50 chance. We win some, we lose some. That's what it's all about. No promises, no guaranteed survival, no saints in surgical garb, or our willingness, our experience, our technique are not enough. Guns and bombs and anti-personal minds have more power to take life than we have to preserve it. Not a very happy ending for a movie, but then no war is a movie. Great ending. Clayton is not thrilled at the movie, but he also admits that it wasn't all bad. He orders his intro and Hawkeye's outro, his dialogue there at the end, to be saved, but he wants the rest of it destroyed. But not all of it. He wants a copy for himself, so that way he has something to laugh at when this whole thing is over. Oh, I'm going to forget about all the kids I led to their death over something meaningless, and I'm just going to laugh and laugh. At the Yankee Doodle Doctor. Uh, stuck a feather in her nurse, or in a nurse, and called her macaroni. That's a line from this show, and, folks. And he quotes. Meanwhile, quotes. while this is all happening, of course, Hawkeye's over there forcing the nurse, I presume, to hold out autograph books for him to sign. Later, after another stint of surgery, Hawkeye tells Trapper and Nurse Cutler that he's considering making another movie. Two brothers, one's a Yankee, one's a South Korean, they don't look anything alike, and I play both parts. <laughs> Unfortunately, they never made that. And I would also like to say that uh, although Trapper really is, is trying to get Nurse Cutler to come back to the swamp with him, she says, I can't because I'm going to go and be with the Yankee Doodle Doctor. Trapper's still very married. <laughs> very, very married. <sighs> Why are we doing this? Why are we doing the show? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And you want to do all of them? No, I don't, but we're going to. They're, they're only going to get worse. 
I mean, some, no. there's, some of them are going to just get sad and depressing. And the good news is, is that they are all going to be much shorter than uh, yes they used to be, and therefore much easier to um to edit. Yeah. So, this is uh, apparently one of the first episodes of Mash to deal strongly with anti-war themes. In April 1973, this episode was cited by Newsweek as an example of irony at its most abrasive. So there you go. Join us next week. <laughs> when we watch episode 7 and 8. As we watch the episode Bananas, Crackers, and Nuts, and the episode Cowboy. So. <laughs> that cowboy, it's, it's a scary one. Hmm, is it? Ooh. That's one thing when I think of MASH. It's going to be spooky. It's going to be scary. This is going to be a... There's going to be a ghost. Can I ask one question that we didn't bring up, and I don't remember what episode it was in. I just know that it was in one of these two episodes. Why is it that whenever Hawkeye is with a nurse and they're making out, it looks like he's drowning? Like he's oh, like yes. he is just flailing his arms and legs are going every which way and it looks like he's trying to he's looks like he's trying to eat her head off. Yes. That, which one was that? That was one of these past two that we just watched. I know, it doesn't matter which it was, one. It was just it was disgusting. I just want to know why it happens. Why 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 why? <laughs> why? why? It's just the thing he's supposed to be casting over and I mean, she didn't seem to have a problem with it until he bit her a little bit too hard. So, I mean, uh, that's what's going to do it for this week's edition of Rotten or Righteous Mash and Sackcloth. I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Booch Taylor. And he's also I'm Scott Judge. Scott Judge. Missing um, Booch Taylor. Right, and as we've been ending the previous episodes of, of Mash and Sackcloth uh, with a reminder that... This may have been a bad episode, but your day could have been so much worse. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. On this day in history, March 10th, 1962, Eddie Fisher gets some karma from Cleopatra. The sizzling affair between Elizabeth Taylor and her future fifth and sixth husband, Richard Burton launched on location in Rome during the filming of the bloated epic Cleopatra, was hot enough to fry the, or fry the egg on the fourth husband, Eddie Fisher's face. The fading heartthrob had discovered his wife's infidelity when he made an unannounced visit to the movie set in the winter of 1962. It wouldn't have mattered if I sent them an engraved announcement telling them the time I was coming, Fisher recalled. They couldn't keep their eyes, not to mention their hands, off each other. It was a humiliating betrayal, not unlike the one Fisher's former wife, Debbie Reynolds, felt when he left her for Taylor. But there was nothing the cuckolded crooner could do about it. The diamonds he bought Elizabeth for her birthday didn't help, nor did the gun he held to her head. All that was left to do was maintain some semblance of dignity by keeping the torrid affair, which Burton gleefully rubbed in his face, a secret. Alas, Fisher failed in that respect, too. It's true, Hollywood gossip columnist Luella Parsons reported on March 10th, Elizabeth Taylor has fallen madly in love with Richard Burton. It is the end of the road for Liz and Eddie Fisher. 
Fisher denied the report that same day, but soon after leaving Rome for New York, he was promptly hospitalized after overdosing on amphetamines. Upon his release, the singer made one last public effort to deny what Burton had taken to calling La Scandale. The only romance between Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton is Mark Antony and Cleopatra, he told a gathering of reporters, and I might say a mighty good one. Then, as the press conference continued, Fisher took a call from Taylor in Rome. He had placed it earlier with the request that she confirm his denial, but Liz refused to quell rumors. You know, the embarrassed singer said, you can ask a woman to do something, and she doesn't always do it. Good night, everybody. So the next two scenes involve Harcho, Harpo, or Harcho, Harcho, yep. Harcho. Harcho Harpi. Harpi as Grouchy. (laughs) (laughs) Young who? (laughs) Young Harpi as Grouchy. (laughs) 